Again, it'll be a little bit repetitive over the next five weeks, but I'm hoping that you will catch. Uh, I want to give you some practical things, practical things that I think are from the Bible uh, on how you can be a blessing to others. But I also want to look at this cursed life that, uh, that many of us, if not all of us, biblically all of us are experiencing. We see the brokenness of the world. And so how do we, how do we respond to that? How do we take um, Christ's model prayer when he says, on earth as it is in heaven, and how do we walk in that? How do we model heaven to the world? Now, we have to abide in Christ. We have to allow Christ and his Holy Spirit to be working through us. This is not something that we can do on our own. So this is the disclaimer. Hopefully you've heard this already, um, but we are not to preach how to do things better. This is not um, a sermon. Uh, you'll, you'll probably hear this, but it is not a how to be a better person, how to do life better, or how to how to be a, a blessing even in that. Hopefully, you will recognize that that we live our lives out of what has already been done, what is already completed, the work of Christ that has been completed. In abiding in Him, we allow Him and His blessing of forgiveness from from Psalm 32 to flow through us. And so on earth as is, as it is in heaven, as Christ is, as we are abiding in Christ and Christ is working through us or living through us, we become a, truly a gift to other, to other people. You're, you may remember from a study that we have pushed pause on. First Peter 3 9 says this, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. You also might remember words from Romans chapter 12 where Paul says almost the identical thing that Peter has said, that we should bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse them. You also might hear these words being echoed uh, when Jesus first preached this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where he talked about these things, how we treat our enemies, what do we do for them, we pray for them, how can we truly be living living this blessed life or this blessed life so we have to think about this how will you this thanksgiving and christmas give your life as a present or a gift to others how will you truly be a a a blessing to other people the only way that we can truly be a blessing to anyone is if christ is working through us you cannot do it on your own you can sure try but as galatians 5 says if we're working on our own we're only going to produce fake fruit we want to be producing fruit that is coming from or through the holy spirit galatians chapter 5 you can turn there if you'd like i'm going to read some of this to you galatians 5 verses 16 through 26 is the whole uh, of the text there but i want to focus in just on a few things and so i may skip some parts just so that you can help focus in on here but i say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh so, so we want to get in our minds already. We don't want to walk according to the flesh or the world or the curse. But we want to walk according to or in abiding in Christ, in this, allowing the Spirit to work through us. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. They're in competition. They're an opponent to the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. It's in competition against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident. And he gives a great list here. And I want you to underline five of them for our, for our uh, time together this morning from verse 20. Enmity, strife, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. Enmity, strife, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. All of these together kind of sum up competition, competing against one another, contention, strife, uh, this, this opposing of one, uh, of one another. So to bless someone, abiding in Christ to bless somebody, when Paul and Peter both said bless instead of curse, we're talking about giving a gift, a gift of blessing or a gift of praise. It means to speak well of someone. In a sense, we become instruments in the hands of the Redeemer, that he would be using us as a gift, as a gift of blessing to someone, to someone else. How do we become a gift or a blessing to someone else? First, stop walking in the curse. First, stop walking according to the flesh. Abide in Christ. Trust in what Christ has already done so that he may be living through you, using you as an instrument or as a blessing to propagate the message, the gospel, to further the gospel uh, for a gospel message so that the Christ's kingdom may be extended. If you use our online uh, discussion questions starting tomorrow, there will be a, a link on those discussion questions for a great article uh, on, on what it means to, uh, to use even money as an instrument to, to further the kingdom, to propagate the message, propagate the gospel. Not as an indicator, money not, as, not being the indicator of a blessing, but instead money being used as an instrument for, for God uh, to bless the world. So we want to be walking in the blessing. We want to be walking in the blessing. What does that mean? It means to walk in the new covenant. It means to walk in the spirit. It means to walk in or abide in Christ. Instead of walking in darkness, as Peter has told us, we now have been brought out of darkness and we can walk in the light. No longer walking in the curse. I don't think any of us want to do that. Maybe some of us some days when we're angry, we say we want to go around and curse people and use some great words to curse people. But most of the time we're not waking up thinking, today I will be a curse to everyone that I see. Today will be the day that people will know about the broken world. They'll see it through me. No, I don't think that's how most of us wake up. Instead, we want to. There's a, there's a, as a believer, there's a small or maybe a large desire in you to be a blessing to others. And, we'll, and even, even at this time of year, when you do something for someone, maybe it's uh, invite them to a meal or maybe it's you give them a, a gift and they say thank you. You're such a blessing inside of you. Something inside of you goes, uh, the, the alarms go off and you say that really felt good. To begin with, when we think about giving a blessing to others, we have to look at Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are or is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. What does it mean to be blessed? It means to be forgiven. What does it mean to be blessed? It means to be forgiven. So right off the bat, how can you bless others? Forgive. To bless, really the word, the Greek word, it means to eulogize. Maybe you've been to a funeral where there has been a eulogy spoken. Where someone has got up on stage and spoke well about the person who is deceased. 
Can I ask a question? Why is it so much easier to speak well of somebody when they're not here, when they're gone? We start looking at the good of people. We start thinking about them. Yeah, maybe they have a lot of bad, but in a sense, when we're speaking a eulogy, a blessing over somebody, we forgive all the wrong things that they've done and only focus in on the good. It's a good starting point for you. To be a blessing to others this Thanksgiving and Christmas season, start by forgiving. That may mean today you have to call somebody and say, or text someone, or meet someone here and say, I forgive you. To eulogize, to bestow a a graceful word or a peaceful word upon someone. How did Jesus bless the world? By extending grace and peace to the world. John 14, Jesus, or John 1, full of grace. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. He came to bring grace to the world. Ephesians chapter 2, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. To be a blessing to others this season would mean that you would extend forgiveness, extend grace, and extend peace. John 14, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Isaiah 9, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now I know what Matthew 10 says when Jesus talks about he came not to bring peace but a sword to divide house against house, father against a son. In that we're talking about, Jesus is talking about the truth that he's bringing. As we're abiding in Christ and the truth reigning and ruling in us, the hope is that we will be a blessing even as Christ, the Prince of Peace, is living through us. We'll come back to what it means to be a blessing in just a moment. Let's talk about the curse, though. To curse someone, when Paul says not to curse, to curse is to wish evil on someone or something. Can you imagine having a wish list for Christmas? Parents, grandparents, your kids say, you ask them, hey, what do you want for Christmas? And they say things like, here's my wish list. I want competition. I want jealousy. I want strife. I want enmity. I want greed. I want uh, the sin of compare. I want these things for Christmas, and I want you to give them to me so I can go give them to someone else. That's what it means to curse, to have a wish list of evil on someone else. Now I know, again, living according to the Spirit, you didn't wake up this morning saying, I wish evil upon whoever speaks this morning, or I wish evil upon my Sunday school teacher, or I wish evil upon the usher who tries to give me uh, the, uh, the bulletin. I, I know you didn't think about that. I know that's not your intention. But we do live in a broken world where sin has entered and rebellion has happened. And there's a lot going on in this world that's a product of the curse. Genesis chapter 3. Turn there, Genesis chapter 3. The curse. 
This morning, I want to focus the rest of our time upon the word competition. You know, like contention and strife and enmity between one another, opposing one another, competition. Competition means an earnest effort for superiority. Competition means an earnest effort for superiority. Strife is a product of that. Contention is a product of that. An earnest effort for superiority or victory over another. I'm going to wrangle this calf until he knows I'm Lord over him and I'm going to brand him and let him know I own you. I'm going to do the same with my kids. I'm going to wrestle them to the floor. I'm going to lord myself over them. I'm going to brand them until they know I am your daddy. That's the competition that goes on. An earnest effort for superiority. See, the curse in Genesis 3, and we'll get to it, we'll break it down here in a second, but the curse brought competition. Competition between Satan and the created. Competition between husband and wife. Competition between siblings, between nations, between man and ground, between man and God, between man and time, between man and death. The curse brought competition. And you deal with it every day. As you're in the line trying to drop off your kids at school, and maybe I'm the only one that does this, and someone puts their blinker on to turn into the kindergarten area, and I look at them saying, why are you trying to cut across traffic? We were all here first. There's a better way. In fact, no, I left the house earlier than you, and I proved to them by not letting them in that I'm a better competitor. We had a great competition yesterday at the football field where our team demolished another team. It was a great, a great viewing of competition. The curse brings competition. Think about this. Genesis 3, starting in verse 15. Sin entered, rebellion happened. Adam and Eve broke covenant with the Lord. Separation happened with God. And a result of that, these things happened. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you, and you shall bruise his heel. There's this competition or this enmity, this contention, this strife between man, woman, and what is evil, Satan. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Competition between husband and wife. Why? But he shall rule over you. Oh, wives, how you hate this. Oh, husbands, how you try and lord over your wives with this. And competition because of the curse is seen. Verse 17. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded, you shall not eat of it. Let me grab some water. I'm never prepared. Cursed is the ground because of you. Competition between competition between man and the ground. Your work is so your work is so difficult. And so because of that, you think about, you think about the curse. I'll give you a second to think through that. Thorns 
and thistles that bring, bring, uh, will bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. How many of you in competition have sweated before trying to outdo another person? Until you return to the ground. Time. The competition against time and death. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and dust shall you return. Competition between others, between co-workers, between siblings, between spouse, between ground, between life, between death, between time, between God. And unfortunately in our broken world, even between churches, the competition we see even between brothers and sisters in Christ. So what's the remedy? What's the remedy between what's the remedy for the competition between our horizontal relationship and the same remedy can the same remedy be used between our vertical relationship with God? What's the remedy between your competition with other brothers and sisters in Christ, between your spouse? What's the remedy between uh, your competition even at at work with your coworkers or in the in the line to go to school? What's the remedy between the competition that the curse brought between you and God? The answer starts with a J and ends with an Jesus. It's Jesus. The answer is Jesus. The remedy between you and your competition between God is our mediator, our Savior, the Prince of Peace, Jesus. The remedy between your competition as you work so tirelessly to beat other people and to bring superior, show your superiority to others, the remedy to that is the remedy to the curse that you're in is Jesus. Competition, let's talk about this. Competition will never result in peace. Competition will never result in peace. Think about even a game, a competition, a football game maybe. What if it ended in a tie? Is there really peace? Or as you're shaking hands with the other team, do you still try and prove how you're better with a firmer handshake? With a longer handshake, I'm going to prove to you, though the scoreboard may say that we're tied and there's peace between us, I will still try and prove to you my superiority over you. No one truly ever is satisfied in a tie. Tell you what, let's tie today, but let's play again next week, and we'll determine who the real winner is. And you see this in spiritual walk too. We want to tie with Jesus. We want to prove that we can work just as hard as he can, that we can do just as many good things as he can, and we want to prove our own salvation by our own good works. It's not the way it works. One must be superior to the other. In the case of the Bible, in the case of your spiritual life and your vertical relationship with God, Jesus should reign supreme. Competition will always complicate. Competition will always complicate. The curse and competition complicates things, always. Jesus and the gospel simplifies things, always, on earth as it is in heaven. So we live as a blessing instead of a curse. Competition, you'll see it, will always complicate things. If you and your spouse are competing with one another, your marriage will always be complicated. When you can say we are one, we are united, and at that moment, and that moment when you can say we are on the same team, then you will you will be living a true blessed life, blessing one another. 
I don't want to get into that very much because <laughs> I'm married and I don't model it well, and so let's just move on. <laughs> Competition will always result in one more superior than the other. Competition will always result in superiority. Remember, competition is, or contention or strife, is an earnest effort to show superiority over another person. Maybe that's not what you, you truly want. Maybe you're thinking, I would never say I'm reigning supreme over someone. But in some small way, you still want to prove that you are better than the other. Men, we, men, we do this often. We always one-up each other. Yeah, Josh, you caught a big fish, but I caught a bigger fish. Yeah, Zach, you thought you could fish. Yeah, Brian, you don't even have a fishing pole. We do this all the time. We always try and one-up the other person. Show me a picture of your recent harvest. I will show you a picture of what I think is a better harvest. We are constantly trying to one-up. Ladies, I'm not a lady, so I have no idea. But I'm guessing it has to do with sales at the store. <laughs> you think your coupon's awesome? I'm, I'm kidding. That's dumb. I know. Okay. You never. Ladies never are in competition. Competition will always result in one being more superior than the other. Paul uses an example of athletes competing. And so there is some good competition. And I think it goes along with what uh, the wisdom of Solomon about sharpening one another. Not to prove superiority, but to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron so that we may be used as instruments for the kingdom and for the glorification of Christ, our supreme Lord. Paul uses the examples of athletes in 1 Corinthians and 2 Timothy. And he says an athlete is not crowned until he competes by the rules. We as athletes under Christ's rule will act according to his commands. What does he desire of us? If Romans 12 comes from the Holy Spirit, from Christ, breathed out by Paul, then we walk in obedience to what he has asked us or given us, commanded us to do. Compete according to the rules. Submit, train your body. But I discipline my body. I keep it under control. We do these things. We, we train. We say, Lord, transform us into your likeness so that I may compete as you desire for me to compete. So I may bless as you desire for me to bless. The goal of Christian competition should never be to prove oneself more superior than the other. We don't proclaim the excellencies of Christ, of his grace, of his mercy, of his compassion, his power, his superiority, so that we can lord this over people or lord ourselves over people. No, it is so that he can be lord of their lives. The purpose then of apologetics or debate, Christian debate, is not to show your superiority over another created thing, but instead to proclaim the supremacy of Christ. I hope that makes sense. I want it to make sense. I want you to see this season how you truly can be a blessing to other people. So on your blanks there, competition will never result in peace. Competition will always complicate and complicate and competition always results in superiority. Competition really says that I'm better than you. 
competition will lead us in a athletic or sports analogy. Competition will always or leads us to to watch film, to study our opponents, to find their flaws, to find their weaknesses, and to prepare for war. We look for the Achilles heel, the places where the other person could be hurt or destroyed. We want to know what hurts you so in competition we can beat you. Christ looks at those things too. He knows our weaknesses. He sees our flaws. He sees where we can be destroyed. He knows where we are currently being destroyed. Yet, at just the right time, while we were weak with sin, God sent His Son, not to condemn the world or destroy the world, but to save us from our sins. He saw and understood what hurts us most or hurts us the worst in order that He might love us the most. To be a blessing truly means to be a gift. And so what do we do? We start with the best gift of all, forgiveness. The free gift is not like the trespass. For if, one man, if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by grace that one man, Jesus, abounded for many. To be a blessing means to show forgiveness, show grace, show peace. Start with those this week. Point people to the forgiveness that only comes through Christ. To be a blessing, we show love, honor, rejoice. We, we weep, we celebrate, we live at peace. To be a blessing means to look at what hurts others and, and seek to show love in those places. Instead of competing under the curse, we bless by abiding in Christ. Romans 12.15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be a blessing this week. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Weep with those who are weeping. To be a blessing, we would model or put into practice in obedience. Romans 12.10, we love one another with brotherly affection. We outdo one another showing, show, in showing honor. In the church, in your home, in your places of work, even in the school line as you drop off your kids to school, whatever that case may be, we... Prove to be a blessing because of because of us abiding in Christ. This author named uh, Madeline L. Engel says, "If our lives are truly hid with Christ in God, the astounding thing is that this hiddenness is revealed in all that we do and all that we say. We we become this true gift to the world because Christ working or living through us." I love that John Piper says. When it comes to showing love to other people, particularly those in the church, we look around and we say there are too many weirdos. There's too many goofballs. There's too many emotional misfits in the church. So how are we going to show love to those people? Piper goes on to say, Since when are the commands of God supposed to be doable in our own strength? We must abide in Christ. When you find yourself this week saying, I can't love this person, nor forgive this person, nor show compassion to this, com this person, or charity to this person, or mercy, whatever the case may be, at that moment, when you say, I can't, you're at the perfect spot to say, Lord, transform me. Use me as an instrument to further your gospel message. To be a blessing maybe even means that you put into practice in obedience, Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
It's Christmas, it's Thanksgiving, and we all tend to be more charitable. We look to showing charity to other people, giving towards a charity, donating towards a charity. Do you know that the Greek word, when it's found in the New Testament, the Greek word means simply to show mercy. So to be a blessing means to extend or work out of extending charity to other people. To showing mercy, extending mercy to others. We bless others by extending mercy to them. We meet them where they are. We extend the mercy rule. But not like Lovington Wildcats did yesterday when they were destroying the Aztec Tigers and extended the mercy rule by beating them by 50 points. They're not the mercy rule in world's standards, but the mercy rule defined by Jesus. Remember, the mercy rule in a competition says this, we're beating you so bad that it's no longer a competition. In fact, it's an embarrassment. It's a borderline just flat out just beating of you and there's no chance there's no chance that the that you the losing team will be able to come back and win so we're going to extend the mercy rule this game is over when extending the mercy rule the winning team feels as if they were showing kindness or charity to the weaker team by no longer extending the pain and suffering however Christ demonstrates to us that the greater and truer mercy rule could have been extended before the game even started. Can you imagine the coin toss at the upcoming Super Bowl or any kind of sporting event? If the team that was projected to win, the team with all the power, the better record, the more superior players, this team, when prompted to call heads or tails at the coin toss, instead they say, neither. We want to extend the mercy rule. How arrogant does this sound? The officials look around, the game hasn't even started. There's no scoring yet. It's pretty arrogant of you to try and extend the mercy rule without even a play being played or score being scored. You have that much confidence in yourself that you will win. I'm hoping that you're catching, because I want to end, but I'm hoping that you're catching what's happened here. Christ has extended a great mercy rule and giving his life to us, for us, sacrificing himself, extending mercy, looking at us and saying, there's no way that you could compete with me. There's no way anything that you do could ever compete with what I've done. Can I just say this morning, just simply, as a time of response, stop competing with the Lord. Let him be supreme over your life. Let the supremacy of Christ rule over you. And in that vertical relationship, when that vertical relationship has been made right by Jesus, then walk abiding in that relationship and stop competing with other sinners, with other saints, with your spouse, with other churches. Stop competing and instead extend the mercy rule. Say, hey, other churches, hey, other saints, Christ is it. Hey, husband, hey, wife, Christ is it. We are on the same team. 
Let the mercy rule of Christ rule over you. The supremacy of Christ rule over you. Jesus reconciles the world to God. He eliminates the need to compete with the Lord. He eliminates the need to compete against other sinners. He eliminates the need to compete against other saints. Let's pray. Lord, help us. As your word teaches us, God, as we look at this curse of competition, God, help us not to compete with you. God, we want to see your glory this morning. We want you to be supreme, or at least let us see your supremacy. And God, help us to glorify you in in our obedience to that. And in a moment of our horizontal relationships, God, would you empower us to extend mercy, to bless and not curse, to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh, to no longer, as particularly as a church here this morning, no longer compete against one another, but instead, as one body, one in Christ, one Savior, one Lord, God, let us glorify you. God, help us to forgive, help us to extend grace and mercy. God, as we respond this morning to you, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.